Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, Steve, it's so great to have you guys with us this morning. Uh, before I begin, I actually I want to do something I, I don't often do. Uh, and because we've been doing a series on the Holy Spirit, I'm going to blame the Holy Spirit for this, just in case you want to you know, try and put me into trouble or get me into trouble uh, for this. But the Curious Program... As a gap year program, as youngsters kind of come out of a season, whether they're coming out of school or whatever the case might be, uh, and perhaps not 100% certain on where they want to go uh, in the future, or, or maybe they know they don't want to just go straight into university or straight to college, they want to serve within the church. And that's a theme we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, even as we've looked at the Holy Spirit. So I want to challenge Wycrock Baptist Church. Uh, we have, within our budget, a study fund uh, that was kind of propped up a couple of years ago, and we've kind of sent various people through various studies, theological studies, and within that study fund, something like Curios would actually be covered by it. Uh, and so I'm challenging White Rock Baptist Church, if, you're, if you feel like that's something you could support, go and make a donation to the study fund so that in the future we can assist some of our young people who want to do something like that and for whom maybe the finances would be a struggle. Of course, when I say that, uh, you know, I, that's between you and God. And, and I would encourage you, don't sort of say, oh, well, I was going to give my donation to the church. I'm just going to put that into the study fund because then all of a sudden, you know, we've got this full study fund and we can't pay our lights and water. Uh, so maybe as an over and above, put that in there. But I leave that with you. Uh, you can come and give me a hard time if you want. I'm just going to blame the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jane did begin this morning by saying, Happy Thanksgiving. And we can tell it's Thanksgiving because church is half empty. Uh, and so evidently some people are with family or perhaps some people are just trying to recover after way too many calories over the last few days. Uh, and maybe you're watching online, sitting at home, uh, just trying to get over that food coma. I know there are going to be many more joining that as they have their dinners this evening. So if you haven't yet had, I hope you have a great evening tonight. And at some point, someone will be able to explain to me why we have Thanksgiving now and our, our neighbors south of the border have theirs next month. I don't really understand that difference, but, you know, I'm not from around here, and so such is life. I alluded to the fact that we've been journeying into the Holy Spirit and journeying into this discovery of who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do. And as we've looked over the last couple of weeks, perhaps you're visiting us for the first time this morning, uh, perhaps visiting online and, and kind of just diving halfway in. Over the last couple of weeks, we've discovered that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not some strange, immaterial force of God. The Holy Spirit is God. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And as our triune God, Christ said that he had to go in order to send the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is sent to us from God and from Jesus as God. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We don't have to ask for a second blessing or a second baptism or, or some extra kind of experience of the Holy Spirit. He is already within us. And then we kind of go, well, why is the Holy Spirit in us? And how does the Holy Spirit guide us? And that's what Jennifer looked at last week. 
And the primary kind of why, why do we have the Holy Spirit? Why does he lead us? Why is he interested in leading us is in ultimate fact to make us more like Jesus. That's why we have the Spirit. The Spirit's role is to make us more like Jesus Christ. And then how? Well, he does that in many various ways. And, and we were reminded, even in all those different ways of coming back to the primacy of Scripture as we read and study and memorize, and, and then we put it into practice and we do it. And as we do that, so we discover the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. And so today, as we continue that journey, if you're taking notes, uh, my title this morning is, By Your Fruit, You Will Be Known. By your fruit, you will be known. And that's kind of evident in this slide that's just slowly changing behind me there. Over the last few weeks, we've had these various images and illustrations of the Spirit at work. Today, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. What does it mean to, to have this fruit of the Spirit? And how do we develop the fruit of the Spirit? By way of illustration, I could give you two illustrations. And the first one is weight loss. Now, I'm not saying anything to anybody. My, my kids love poking me in the stomach, especially after our Thanksgiving Friday night meal, and they give me a hard time about that. But if you want to lose weight, it doesn't matter how many books you read. It doesn't matter how many YouTube video clips you watch. It doesn't matter how many scientific journals you pour through onto the mechanism and means of weight loss. The only way you lose weight is to reduce calories and to increase activity. It doesn't matter how much you know, it's what you do. If I want to see my body change, then I have to do something. I, I have to go and physically do something. Another illustration that I could link, and we'll touch on it again in a few moments, another illustration is the illustration of fruit. If I want fruit, yes, okay, I can go to the, the store and I can buy all my fruits, and there we go, but that's not going to help me ultimately. If I want fruit, I need to start planting some fruit. But if I want to plant fruit, I don't just plant the apple and go, boom, there's my apple, and I have apples next week. No. If I want to plant a fruit tree, whether it's an apple tree or whatever the case might be, I need to take that seed or that seedling and I need to plant it and nurture it and I need to feed the soil and I need to water the plants and I need to take care of it as it grows. But even as it grows, I know I'm not going to have fruit maybe for a few years. I'm not going to see the results immediately. I'm only going to see it over time. And I want those two illustrations to stick in mind as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is in the same way evident only over time in our lives. And many of us might get frustrated and we might kind of get upset and go, oh, I'm just not growing as I should or I'm just not evident of this fruit in my life and I'm just going to give up. No, don't do that. The whole point is it takes time and it takes effort. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read a couple of verses in just a few moments, but if you've got it, you can start turning to Galatians 5. And of course, I know that when I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, many of you already know, yeah, that's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And you're going, there we go, Brian. 
preach a nine-point sermon on those nine points, and we'll all have the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I could do that. I could easily preach a nine-point sermon with hundreds of practical tips on how to be more loving, how to be more kind, how to be more self-controlled, and all of those things. And I could point out that just like going to gym or just like learning a new language, you've just got to try a little bit every day, and it'll get easier, and, and you'll get better at it. And before you know it, boom, you will have all this fruit. But that's not the focus of Galatians chapter 5. And so if I try and focus just on those two verses and give a bunch of practical steps, I am missing the point of Galatians chapter 5. Because Paul goes so much deeper into it. And ultimately, and, and we'll see it as we go through it, the fruit becomes a byproduct. The fruit starts to form as we do something else. In fact, we don't need to focus on the fruit in isolation. There's something else we need to focus on, and when we do that, that's how it grows in our lives. And of course, Galatians chapter 5 exists in a context. It's the book of Galatians. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and some of you may have heard somebody talking about a Galatian heresy. Uh, and really, the Galatian heresy is the idea that as Paul was preaching Christ and as men and women were coming to Christ, another group were coming in behind Paul and they were saying, yes, it's okay to have Jesus, it's okay to have faith in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. And so what they were saying is, yes, your faith is good, but you still have to follow the law. You still have to do some stuff. So what they were saying is it's not just faith that saves you, it's faith plus this work. Of course, Paul would be the first to go, not at all. There is no work you can add to your faith to save you. You are saved by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone and his work. And so we read this in Galatians chapter 5. In fact, I'm going I'm to pick it up from verse 11. So if you have your Bibles open, you can turn to 11. It's going to be up on the screen as well. Let's pick up from verse 11 in Galatians 5. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, yeah, I, I want to pause here quickly. Why would Paul say this? I believe Paul had a great sense of humor. I, I, just, I, I can just see the tongue in cheek. But there's a context here. There's, there's an understanding that sometimes we miss out because we're, we're so far removed from the circumstances. You see, for devout Jews, for, for the devout children of Israel... Only a certain group of people, only a certain class of people could enter into the inner courts, into the inner courts of the synagogue. Only a very select group of men, Jewish men in particular, were able to represent the people in front of God. Only the right people, in inverted commas, could come close to God. And so, yes, while to a degree they sort of believed, yeah, God will bless everyone through us, they still maintain that only a few of us are allowed into this place. 
But now earlier in Galatians chapter 3, Paul goes on to show that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither free or slave. There is neither male nor female. There is no external difference that separates us from the love of Christ. We are one in Christ. That means there is no external difference that could prevent somebody from coming into the presence of God. And so Paul, kind of, as he realizes these guys are speaking about circumcision, Paul says, I wish you wouldn't stop at circumcision. I wish you would cut the whole package off. And of course, they, not so much us, we just think this is crazy, they would be aghast. Paul, how can you say that? Paul, have you forgotten Deuteronomy 23 verse 1? Because we've got children in the room, I won't read Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. But I know a whole bunch of you are going to turn there anyway, so let me read it. <laughs> Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And so when Paul says, I wish you would just cut it off instead of stop at circumcision, what Paul is saying to them is, you who are trying to get us to force the law, if you do that, it's the same as Deuteronomy 23 verse 1, and you would then have no access to God. No, it is in Christ alone. It is faith in Christ apart from the law. Apart from those works. So forget about circumcision as a symbol. It is ultimately faith in Christ. So let's continue in Galatians chapter 5 from verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, for those who walk in the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one each other. And so now when we read Galatians chapter 5 and we see that description of the fruit of the Spirit, we realize it's in contrast with those who live by the flesh. 
And Paul's going, those who live by the flesh, well, that's evident. These are people who try and gratify their own desires, their own flesh desires, and it manifests in all sorts of destructive behavior. While as those who walk by the Spirit, it manifests in, in the fruits of the Spirit. And so it's evident. And so Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And he sums up how we do that in verse 13. Because I know for some of you who discuss this in your life groups this coming week, that's going to be the question. How do we walk daily by the Spirit? Paul summarizes this in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love. And there's what you need to highlight in your Bible. Before you highlight Galatians 5, 22 and 23, serve one another humbly in love. That's how we find the Spirit. So if I want to walk by the Spirit, if I want to experience more of the Holy Spirit in my life, it won't come to me by me trying to be more patient. It won't come to me by me working harder at being more self-controlled. If anything, I'm just going to get frustrated because I'm going to fail. Or I'm going to get conceited because I think, look at how good I can do this. No, if I want to grow in that area, then I need to learn to serve and to serve in love. That's what the scriptures call us to over and over again. Love God and love others. Another way of phrasing that is serve God by serving others and serve in love. And, and that's the thing. I might try and chase after the Holy Spirit. I might try and chase after these experiences of the Holy Spirit. But the scriptures are clear. If I serve humbly with love, that's when I will experience the Spirit at work in my life. And so here are these Galatians, these Christians, along with those who are antagonizing and, and coming in and trying to change what Paul had been saying, and they're caught up in this heresy, trying to add to the work of grace, trying to prove they're saved by adding to this legalistic response and by following the law. And Paul says to the Galatians, by walking in the Spirit, we're moving from legalism to liberty. And the problem was, uh, Paul was aware that many of them were trying to move to license. And you might go, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you see, legalism is I'm trying to follow the law legalistically so I can show, look, I deserve God's presence. I deserve reward. I deserve heaven. I've earned my way into the presence of God through legalistically following these rules. And because Paul is now speaking about faith in Christ, one of the dangers is people might move to license. And that means, well, I can do whatever I want. I'm saved by faith, so I can just do whatever I want. I'm free in Christ. And Paul goes, no, both of those extremes are wrong. So because you are free in Christ, move to liberty. Liberty is the freedom to do the right thing at the right time by serving in love. And so Paul teaches, don't serve yourself. Don't give in to your own flesh desires. Don't allow that to be a space for Satan to get access into your life through your flesh. No, serve. So how do we do that? And even why would we do that? Well, the first thing I want you to notice out of Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 onwards, the first thing is that serving others in love 
is God's path to greatness in his kingdom. Serving others in love is God's path to greatness in his kingdom. Yeah, for an illustration of that, I would turn right back to Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Whoever wants to become great must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. You see, we live in a world that says, the greater you are, the more servants you have. The greater you are, the less kind of menial tasks you have to do because somebody else will serve you. And Jesus says, no, it's completely the opposite. If you want to be great, you need to learn to serve. You know, when I started in ministry, I used to think that I was all that. You know, the, the church I started in as a youth pastor, they were lucky to have me as their youth pastor. And early on, I got invited to one of the seniors' events to, to speak at the seniors' event. And so I went and I spoke and I gave them the best message they had ever heard in their lives. And do you know, not one person came and thanked me afterwards. Not one person said, oh, Brian, you're so amazing. I just heard the Holy Spirit through you. And, and so I'm kind of there, kind of going, what, what, what happened? And so while I was kind of just floating about and the crowd was slowly leaving and people were going, one of the ladies comes back in and, and pretty much most of the people have left and I'm in my office and one of the ladies comes back in and she kind of says, well, um, I've got a flat tire. Can you help? And they didn't teach us how to change tires in seminary, but thankfully I had my own experience. So I went and I helped and I changed this, this lady's tire and she couldn't stop thanking me and, and she went her way. And before the end of the week, basically the entire church knew that I had changed a tire because she was just so thankful. And I learned from that. I realized, you know what, people don't care what you know. People don't care what you sound like on the stage. People care about, do you love? Will you help when I really need help? Will you step in and do something that somebody else can't do? You see, and that's the same in the kingdom of God. We all want to be famous. We all want to be up here. We all want to get the accolades and the acknowledgements. And God says, no. If you want to be great, then you become a servant. You take last place. You serve others in love and humility because that's the Christian path. And that's how we experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. The path to greatness in the kingdom of God is through humility and through service. But the second thing that Paul kind of points out to us in Galatians chapter 5 is that serving others in love is the way Jesus expects us to follow his example. So it's not just about becoming great in his kingdom, no. Serving others in love is the way Jesus expects us to follow his example. You know, last week, as I've already mentioned, when Jennifer was talking about why and how does the Holy Spirit guide us, well, the why is simple. It is to be like Christ. If I call Jesus my Lord and Savior, if I worship Christ, if I trust in Christ's work, then the response is to become more like Christ. 
The New Testament is filled with this exhortation to us. You know, Paul speaks about it, not only in Galatians, Paul speaks about it in Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, Therefore, be followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And John says this in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, Whoever claims to live in Christ must live as Jesus did. We need to follow the example of Jesus in every way. And of course, everything Jesus did was right and pure and holy, but we're still led and called to obey and follow him, to do what Jesus did. Do you know there's only one time actually in this Gospels when Jesus tells his disciples explicitly to follow his example. And it's this beautiful picture in John chapter 13. I won't read the whole thing for you, but in John chapter 13, the disciples gather as they gather for a meal. And of course, as they've come in and, and they're at the, this low reclining table, which is the custom of the day, and as you kind of reclined at the table, your legs would stretch out, and so as where your feet were, somebody else's head was. And so I'm thankful that we sit at tables when my, nobody's feet is near my plate. But that was how it was. And so whenever a, a group would come into a home, the slave or the servants of the house would come and wash people's feet so that at least the feet were clean around the table. And as Jesus is there with his disciples and there's no servant, no one has washed the feet. And I can just imagine the disciples kind of looking at one another, knowing somebody should be washing feet. But in their minds, only the lowest does that. And I can see them trying to do a pecking order. I can imagine John going, well, you know what? Jesus takes me everywhere. I'm kind of his right-hand guy. I'm not so sure about that Judas guy. And, they work, and nobody washes feet. And so Jesus, before the meal comes, he takes his outer garments off and he wraps a towel around his waist and he gets a bowl of water and he moves around the group and he washes his disciples' feet. And then we read in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus was and still is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is seated on the throne as ruler, as one who will be worshipped. Yet Jesus steps down. And he takes on the, the role of a servant, and he serves. He takes the, that dirty job, and he's unafraid to do it. And then he tells his disciples, you also need to be prepared to serve and to show love and faithfulness through your serving. We serve one another as we follow Christ's example in order to become like Christ. And then we might sort of say, okay, well, how do we do that? And that's how Paul closes off in Galatians. Paul teaches us how to be like Christ. And Paul echoes it in Philippians chapter 2, that really well-known passage of Scripture around Christ and how Christ took on the form of a human. 
In fact, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And we might kind of ask, well, what is humility? Is, is humility all about just thinking of myself less? You know, humility is the quality of a Christian which makes them think of themselves no more highly than they ought to think and causes them to lift up and honor others rather than self. So it's not strictly just about thinking of myself less. It's about honoring those around me. And it's about concerning myself with what they're concerned about. That's what Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, and he says, and don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of those around you. You know, Sidney Powell said, try to forget yourself in the service of others. For when we think too much of ourselves and our own interests, we easily become despondent. But when we work for others, our efforts return to bless us. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've found myself frustrated, angry, and upset at something. And I want people to drop everything and come and serve me and respond to me. And, and you know what? They never do. But yet when I'm in those kind of places and God gives me opportunity to serve someone else and to make it not about me but about them, that's when I see God at work. And it's amazing how God takes me out of that mire and out of that place. And so that's why Paul says, be like Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Did you get that? Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, on the throne, God Almighty, empties himself of that. And he takes the form of flesh. In fact, the, the Greek word used is the word morph. And it basically means the, the basic nature of that thing. And so Jesus has taken the basic nature of a human. Jesus has become human. But in just a few verses later, Paul says he's also taken on the very basic nature, that morph of a servant. Jesus has come to be a servant. And Paul says that's the attitude you and I should have. Not looking to our own interests, our own wants, our own desires, but in humility, serving one another with love. So how do we wrap up? How do we close off? By our fruit, we will be known. And so when I read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against which there is no law. If I want to see an increase of that fruit of the Spirit in my life, and if I want to be known as that kind of person, well, it's really rather quite simple. It comes and is developed as I walk by the Spirit by humbly serving others in love. And I would suggest for those of you who've 
come into the series that we've been doing over the last few weeks as we've tried to discover more of the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who are, who are hungry or desperate to say, I want to see the Holy Spirit working through me. I want to see the Holy Spirit's power in my life. I would suggest we begin here in humility, with love, serving one another. You can begin at home, serve your family. You, you can begin at work. You can begin with your neighbors. We impact this world by serving our community. As we do this, the world around us will know that we are in Christ and experiencing the living fruit as we serve. I close with this. Fruit has two purposes. It is food and it is seed. And that's the illustration of why we need fruit in our lives. The fruit that grows is the fruit that sustains those around us. It feeds those around us. As we love, as we're patient, as we're kind, as we're caring. Fruit is food. But fruit is also seed. Because as we love, as we are patient, as we are self-controlled, as we are kind, so the world around us looks and they ask, what is the reason for that? Why are you so different? And as they journey in that question, so they discover Jesus Christ through us. And we will impact the world. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, as we journey in this, as we seek to know the Holy Spirit and the reality of the Spirit within us, we cannot escape the call of Scripture and the words of our Savior Jesus Christ to follow your example, to do what you did, to live as you lived. And God, we cannot escape the call to serve one another humbly and in love. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us. I pray for us as a church community in the corporate sense, but I also pray for the individuals within. Often we want to be served. Often we get upset when we're not served, when things don't go how we want them to go. But, Lord, we know those are opportunities where you're stripping us of self, stripping us of pride. And so, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to look for opportunities to serve whether it's at home with our family, whether it's at work or school or whatever, whether it's with our neighbors or even into the community at large. God, help us to have that very mindset of Christ who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself and took the very nature of a person. But not only the nature of a person, he took the nature of a servant. May we do the same. And may we bring you glory as we do this. For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.